Hey everybody, my name is Anita Kirkbride of Torp Communications and this is Halablab, the show for small businesses in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Join me as I talk to businesses you may be following and some you might not have heard of yet. Hear stories from local business owners like you, how they started, where they're going, and of course, since I'm a social media consultant, how they're using social media. Take a moment to subscribe right now so you don't miss an episode, whether you're listening on Facebook, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. Hey, Halifax, welcome back to another episode of Halablab on this beautiful Friday afternoon. I am so excited. We're getting close to the end of the first season of Halablab, and I've got a fabulous guest for you today, my friend Cora Cole from Grey Lit. We're going to get to her in just a minute, but I want to remind you, if you're catching this on the podcast version, we would love for you to come join us um, some Friday afternoon when you need a break and interact with us live on Facebook. We do record this live on Facebook and you can come and you can pose questions and answer what we're talking about and interact with us. And it's a lot more fun for us if you do that. So I'd love for you to join me on the Twerp Communications Facebook page some Friday afternoon at 1.30 Atlantic to talk to the people that I have lined up from here until the end of March. Um, yeah, that's that. So my guest today is Cora Cole. Cora and I have known each other for quite a while now. And uh, Cora is the founder and CEO of Graylit, a software company that gives a voice and a stage to frontline research and information by allowing it to be searched, shared, and reviewed around the world. After nearly 20 years as a public health epidemiologist, Cora wanted to help organizations make better decisions faster and to turn research into action months and years sooner. So she left the healthcare industry to venture into the world of startups and technology. Her learning curve has been steep with plenty of ups and downs on the entrepreneurial roller coaster. Welcome, my friend, Cora. Thanks, Thank Anita. Thank you for joining me. I'm so excited for people to learn what you're doing because uh, my business coach that I've been working with has started using the term disruptor. And when she started using the word disruptor, I immediately thought of you. You are being such a disruptor in this industry because you are blowing up the way research is published and shared. And that's what disruptors do. Do you think of yourself as a disruptor? Have you um, always been a disruptor? <laughs> you know, I'm thinking back to grade school and um, I'm sure I could line up some teachers that would say I have disrupted class on more than one occasion. Um, <laughs> I probably have girl guide leaders that said I was very disruptive in the back of the room. So maybe, maybe it's more of a personality trait than a, something I can put on my resume, but I think in this context, I'm pretty flattered that I should be a disruptor. <laughs> oh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Good things come from people who are willing to disrupt the status quo. And that's so clearly what you're trying to do. And I hope we can share that with people today. So they see what a huge to me, monumental change you're trying to make in the way research is shared. So yeah. let's let's start with, okay, what's an epidemiologist for somebody who doesn't know where you started? What does that mean? Um, so epidemiology comes from epidemics. So I fancied myself some sort of disease tracker, you know, think of storm tracker. Yeah. I had pictured myself living in a treehouse in a beautiful 
Thai island tracking communicable diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's the vision I had in my head. And then what I ended up doing was getting my degree and starting to practice here locally. And that started on uh, working with food outbreaks. Um, you know, the classic case of somebody had a big barbecue and left the potato salad out too long. But I, you know, had some great epidemics in my career. It started off with uh, West Nile virus. We moved to H1N1. We, I looked at uh, a blood contamination outbreak. Um, so mostly outbreaks. And then as you mature in your career, you kind of move on to chronic conditions, diabetes, um, obesity. And so it really has been a journey of moving from one fire to the next fire. Okay. So how does somebody go from being a disease tracker to being the founder of a tech startup? Um, It would be easier to explain if I said I had an accident and fell off the turnip truck and hit my head and had amnesia. Because that seems like a more clear path than the one I've taken. Um, so really, the the short version is just professional frustration. Um, watching work that I did from a research point of view and from a policy planning and a program development point of view, stop going up the chain of command to the decision maker where it was supposed to stop. So the decision maker, whoever it was, could make a decision on that mm-hmm. and then it would just sit there and it wouldn't go anywhere and because I was a government employee or on the front lines I didn't have that same crazy pressure to publish or perish the pressure frontline researchers and um, practitioners are under is more of a dissemination pressure like how do we get this out how do we tell people about it how do we share this information. So um, needing a way to share and mobilize frontline information quicker, faster, sooner than an academic journal Mm -hmm. was really the pain point for me and for my colleagues. And I waited like 10 years for somebody to do it. And then I just decided, you know what, this is the age of social media. This is the age of instant access to information. There has to be a better way. So I thought I could guide a better way. (laughs) (laughs) So as Mary Jane's saying, Mary Jane's watching us here this afternoon. uh, This is where all great ideas, where all great ideas come from, paying attention to what's not working well. And I mean, so many things were invented because somebody saw a problem and came up with a solution. So this is, this is how you've done it, right? You, you took something that was frustrating you in your life, your professional life and said, I'm going to fix this damn thing. Yeah. You know, I I think the quote is, um, necessity is the mother of all invention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I do really feel like I've mothered this idea a little bit. And um, much to the dismay of my technical developer, um, who is a male, the night before we launched the platform publicly, I kept telling him that I, I need to just take a minute because I'm having these Braxton Hicks about launching and giving birth to this idea. And Scott has no children. Um, And so there was just this look on his face of what are you talking about? But yeah, mothering an idea into 
fruition, it was very different than my career of putting out fires and responding. Mm. And so it's mm. been a crazy, you know, I don't even, I think I'm going to change it and say it's not been a roller coaster. I kind of feel like I'm living my own version of the Groundhog Day movie. Like every day I wake up and I miss that one little thing. I don't say the right thing. I'm not talking to the right person. I'm not in the right place at the right time. So I have to do it all over the next day. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm close. I think it's like day 15 in my movie, but mm-hmm. we'll have, get there. have you watched The Good Place yet? No. So it's a new Ted Danson. Okay, I'm off in a little bit of a rabbit hole here. It's a, new, <laughs> it's a Ted Danson and, oh shoot, I've forgotten the, the actress's name. Um, anyway, it's a sitcom. Okay. And we, we've been binge watching it and it's kind of, this, they repeat the same thing over and over and over and over and over 200 and some times before okay. they realize they got to do something different. Anyway, that's that. Go watch that. You'll, you'll have fun. Uh, empathetic feelings <laughs> I'm not the only one that's really all we want to know in life right is that we're not the only one absolutely well and that's kind of the theme of Greylit too in a way right because you want to share the research that person a is doing so that person b can move the research forward not reinvent the wheel exactly you know at the <laughs> end of every research project at the end of every research study there's always that section in the conclusion. There's always one paragraph that says future questions or future work should, or we should next investigate. Um, and so I just wonder if, if we could tie all those threads together and have somebody ask a question and then somebody answer that question and connect them, wouldn't that be fantastic? Mm. Like, what problems could we solve? How we could save money, reduce redundancies? Just Can you give thought. us some examples of things that, uh, in an ideal world, you would love to see them published at Greylit so that the next person comes to Greylit and gets that and moves it forward? Can you, yep. can you verbalize a couple of ideas? So locally, um, in terms of Nova Scotia, the Ivany Report. The Ivany Report is a document that oodles and oodles and oodles of resources went into in terms of think tanks and thought leaders and money and time. And it really is a work plan for a somewhat rural province to do some economic and social reform. Mm-hmm. That was, that had many ripple effects in many industries across the province. I am convinced that there are other provinces, there are other states, there are other boroughs that could benefit from that. Even though the Ivany report was spearheaded by a a person in academia, Dr. Ivany, it wasn't published in an academic journal because it was too important, it was too urgent, it was too quick, it needed dissemination faster and broader. But I'm pretty convinced that somebody in a province in Australia or England could take what we've learned and the ideas that we came up with and roll them out. Mm -hmm. So that if we could connect the readers to the actual research, I think I could go on vacation. (laughs) So is the Ivany report on your radar to get that on or is it too old? It's a few years old now. It's a few years old. Um, We do have an archiving element to our platform because there are cornerstone pieces of information that 
need to sit somewhere that other people can find it. Because even though we can talk about the impact of the Ivany Report, and we all know it's called the Ivany Report, what would you type into Google if you didn't know what it was called? I have no idea because until you told me what it was about, I really didn't know, even <laughs> though I knew the name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so we can't rely on people knowing that we exist as an institution or an organization. We can't rely on people knowing our name or the title of our work in order for it to be disseminated or valued. Mm -hmm. There has to be a better way to share the content. So if research is published on Grey Lit, will it be, it, will it show up in Google results? We're working on that. Okay. Um, that really is going to depend on where the document comes from, whether the organization or agency has that CEO presence. Um, but we are a private platform in that you have to be a member of our platform in order to see the, the research. So within our platform, we're indexing it using natural language. So the example I give is if you want to talk to a nurse about breastfeeding, you would Google breastfeeding. If you talk to a midwife, if you talk to a mom, if you talk to somebody from a developing country, they might Google nursing mm -hmm. in terms of the mom is nursing the infant. And if you Google nursing, you're going to get an incredible amount of valuable information, but may not get anything related to breastfeeding. And so our platform uses that natural language to index research that would normally be use language that you wouldn't think of. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so tell us how, how does the membership work because, or how will it work? Because do I, at me as a person who's maybe interested in reading, but not doing research or not publishing, do I have, do I have to join? Will I be able to see it just on the site? Do I have to pay a membership? Tell us how all that's going to work. Um, so, unfortunately for you, you couldn't be a member. Um, in order to be a member, you have to be associated with an accredited organization or agency because we want mm -hmm. the reviewers and the readers of our work to have some street credit because we're layering uh, what I'm calling a true peer review element to the research that gets uploaded. So. Right now, when you submit a paper to an academic journal, you may or may not know the person. You, they remain confidential. When they, when they deem the worthiness of your research, you don't actually know who it is. So we mm -hmm. actually create a profile and sort of like a dating service. We match readers to research. Um, so you know that the people who are doing the review are your peers. Mm -hmm. um, and in order to have street credit, we want those peers to be part of an organization or agency that's accredited or vetted and part of an institution that you're not in your basement suspecting that bath bombs will cure goiter, for example. Um, it sounds like and, something I read on Goop. Did you read that on Goop? Well, I have, uh, I'm going to take the fifth on that, on commenting on Goop. But for that very reason, our members, it's a, it's a closed environment. Um, we have organizational memberships where if you're part of an organization, you can come on board. Mm -hmm. So yeah. once you're, once you're a member, you can go in and you can search, but in all the different ways. Yeah. Search, share, and review. Perfect. Um, and um, so what other types of research is it? You talked about the Ivany report. Will it all be um, sort of urban planning kind of research or will it be, 
all academic health research? What are we, what kinds of research are you open to? Well, the platform itself is topic agnostic. So if we're talking about municipalities, for example, which I think would be, you know, is a target of mine is to bring on municipalities, the, you know, Halifax just made um, a very broad, a very sweeping smoking ban. Mm. So the research leading up to that is all gray literature. It's not published in an academic journal. It sat with the decision committee. They voted. It was passed. And that research doesn't go anywhere. But there are 11 other cities in Canada alone that are considering rolling out a smoking ban. Graylit could save them all that time and energy if they could just peek over the HRM wall and see how they came to that conclusion. Um, the next vertical we're going after is sports medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, treatment plans for individuals and getting athletes back into health are very customized, are very individual, but for that reason, wouldn't be published in an academic journal. But that doesn't mean somebody else couldn't learn from that if they could get it quicker and faster and in a way that made sense for them. Mm-hmm. So with the example of the municipalities mm-hmm. why doesn't hrm why isn't that available somehow already that doesn't make sense like why can't um aurelia ontario just call up cao butts or whoever's there now and say hey i'd like to have that research right wouldn't it be great but they don't they don't and they have i mean in all fairness to the municipalities they have friendships and we have sister cities and they have conferences. Um, but to be able to log into a platform, search their you know, local share drive for research that's been indexed using keywords, because again, you have to use keywords or subject headings because you don't know what an, an, a particular municipality called a document. Um, I don't know why. This is this is my question. This is what kept me up at night. This is why <laughs> I'm not focused on, you know, food security and water access. It's mm-hmm. this missing information. It's closing that information access gap that keeps me up at night. Do you think people just feel really proprietary? Is that the right word towards yeah. their research? They just want to keep it to themselves. They did the work, so I'm keeping it to myself. I don't want to share it. I think the old timers might have But I think as people get greater access personally Mm -hmm. and that information is more readily accessible and that you do get reviews and that you do get feedback and people are becoming more transparent, it's going to change. People need, people have greater accountability to their decision makers and to people that they're serving. So it's changing. Um, We only need to look to Europe. Um, There's a huge movement in Europe called Plan S or Open Access, where 11 countries in Europe have signed off to say, by 2020, any government funded research has to be available for free. So what I need to do is get in front of those 11 countries and say, hey, I have your tool, just sign up. but, you know, I'm trying to get into the, that right person, and this is my Groundhog Day scenario, talking to MLAs, talking to MPs to say, hey, guys, mm-hmm. look, Canada is ahead of the curve on so many things. You know, we have 11 countries in Europe struggling to get this done. We could get it done next week. Mm-hmm. And so how can I help Canada lead that open access movement and reduce that barrier to 
research that you as Jane Public have funded? Why should it be behind a paywall? Why can't you access what you've paid for? Well, in this day and age, with so much information freely available everywhere, it is kind of mind-blowing that, what, cabillions, that's the real word, cabillions of dollars of government-funded research is sitting somewhere where people can't access it. It's mm-hmm. mind-blowing. Well, the actual number in 2015 is uh, $500 billion dollars was spent in science, technical, and mathematics and engineering, and only 10% of that funded research made it into a journal. And that's, was that Canadian or? In North America. North American. That's a cabillion, 500 yeah. billion, sure. Well, well, if you think about how many research papers come out of $500 billion, then yeah, it could be a cabillion. And so that's what we're collecting up is that mm-hmm. other 80%. Mm-hmm. And what, sorry, did you just tell me how, what percent actually get published? 10 to 20. 10 to 20%. So 80, per, 80 to 90% of research is not being published. In journals, yep. In journals, right. Um, is that because, so why is that? Is it because there's just a limited number of journals? Is it because they're too particular? Is it because people don't put it forward? Mm-hmm. All of them. All so of <laughs> all of those are great reasons. Um, sometimes the research is time sensitive. So the student who is doing the research has moved on. The professor goes on sabbatical. They have a new higher, better paying project. It takes about two years to get through the academic peer review process. By the time you submit, get rejected, submit, get accepted, have edits and go back and forth. Um, so that's a really long time to as a clinician, as a researcher, to stay focused on a topic that you did two years ago. Mm. Um, There's a couple biases in journals. You know, some journals are too niche. Some journals wouldn't publish it because of the sample size of N. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of reasons. The the most, I guess, the, the most opposing reason for open access is because there's no quality. And the die hard, it has to be published in an academic journal and undergo peer review in order for it to be quality research is changing. Mm-hmm. There's just too much information. There, there's too many ways to disseminate now. Um, and there are other ways to get feedback. And having somebody that you don't know that may or may not even be a peer review and deem the, re- the worthiness of your research isn't acceptable anymore. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's a whole world that probably most of the people listening today have really no idea about because I don't know about anybody else, but I've never published anything or wanted to publish anything in an academic journal. And I probably haven't looked at an academic journal for 30 years. So, Well, if you go into your doctor's office and you see the stack Mm -hmm. of journals on their desk, Mm -hmm. GPs subscribe to six to seven journals a month and they only read one to two. So your health decisions are being Mm -hmm. made based on 10 to 20% of the research they were able to cram in. The other stuff is sitting there on the desk in a journal. And it's all two to three years old. Right. At least. Mm -hmm. Because that's how long it takes to get it published. Right. So that's, that's really kind of scary. Yeah. Think about it. That, you know, when, when they come down with a new um, guideline for, well, I know, okay, so a couple of years ago, the guideline for how often women should have pap tests changed. 
Yeah. I don't remember what the change was, which way it went. It was either more often or less often, but that's based on research that's probably five, six, 10 years old by the time it gets published. Mm -hmm. And it's based on research that happened with a particular population in a particular age group in a particular clinical setting. Mm -hmm. So if that research example came to gray lit to our platform before it got published or during publication, we would match that research with other peers all over the world, get their feedback, get them to weigh in on different education levels, different socioeconomic factors, different cultures. Um, mm. And so that the research becomes more generalizable, more appropriate and more accessible. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep saying this, but I just find it mind blowing that this isn't, that it's not already happening with the way the internet is now and everything is just there and available, so. Right, so the internet still has things posted. I mean, there's no doubt that Google is collecting up that other 80, 90% when researchers are able to post because some academic journals have embargoes on mm -hmm. if you get sure. accepted, you can't post anywhere else until we do. Right. Um, but it's not indexed. It, going back to the Ivany report or going back to nursing versus breastfeeding. How do you search for something if you don't know what it's called? Right. Right. And so the academic journals are moving more towards an open access model. You still have to pay, um, sometimes quite a bit. But we're not interested in just that academic information. We want the frontline stuff, the stuff mm -hmm. that led up to the smoking ban in HRM or the that's going to end up with the the fact that Every time a road is repaved, you have to put in a bike lane. Like mm -hmm. That is impactful applied research. And that's what we want because that's mm -hmm. where the action happens. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, okay, so let's switch gears a little bit here. Okay. Does, does social media play a role in you building this business? Yeah, in, in a lot of ways, um, social media was the inspiration or the catalyst. Not that I can do it, but I'm sitting there going, okay, I can get photos. I can connect to people around the world. People are responding to things, to what people had for dinner. They're responding to when people lose their job. And there's an immediate feedback and people are willing to talk about tough stuff and they're willing to share their struggles online. And they're being nurtured and they're learning from their peers, their family, their supports from strangers. So how can we harness that for good? How can we harness that in mobilizing information and closing that access gap? Mm. So that, that was part of the inspiration. Do you, how do you use it now to move forward? So now, I mean, very tangibly, um, my team member, Linda Daly, is using it to um, promote our existence, mm -hmm. to promote our customers' research. So we have customers on board now and we use it to share what they're doing, to get feedback, to start that dissemination process. Eventually, we'll use it to match peers and research together. So we're part of that matching and recommendation service. Mm -hmm. But it really is about lighting the fire and using social media's reach and urgency to share life-changing information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because 
when you talk about how social media kind of inspired it, when I talk to people about how to use Twitter for the first time, yep. I tell them sometimes, maybe I had that conversation with you, I tell them, <laughs> you don't have to go onto Twitter just to be posting about stuff all the time. Maybe for you, Twitter is a research tool. Yeah. Maybe you go on there so that you can follow people you would have, you wouldn't have access to any other place or way researchers or the people doing stuff in Australia or in Russia or in Northern Europe or wherever, right? You can have access to these people who are on Twitter so easily. Absolutely. So, and it, and it, social media connects people based on interest. So mm -hmm. even though you may be a high school math teacher, you may have a couple diabetics in your class couple of students who have eating disorders or food security disorders. So social media will connect you to experts in that field. Mm -hmm. And you can learn ways to, you can learn tools and tips and tricks to bring into your classroom to impact these students that you as a math teacher wouldn't be able to access otherwise. And so the magic for me about social media, and I, this is my, you know, this is the catalyst. It's not you know, I mean, aside from the marketing tool and the ability to get customers and legion and all that stuff is separate. For me, the magic is connecting people based on interest, mm. not professional associations, not based on your resume, but you can go and seek out a peer. You can follow somebody you value or who you respect. Whereas before social media or without that connection, you had to send them an email, you followed them at a conference, you went to visit them um, mm -hmm. when you were in their town. You know, it's, there's, um, it in and of itself is closing that information access gap. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, when I go to the conference in San Diego every year, I mean, there are people that I meet there that I then become friends with online. There are people that I talk to online first, and then I get there and I get to meet them in person and build the relationship. So, mm -hmm. and I've told the story many times about, um, I can walk into any networking event here in Halifax and know that there's somebody in that room somewhere that I know, probably from Twitter, but that I know from social media that yep. I may never have met in person before. And when you meet that person, you feel like you know them already because you've been talking online and you know something about each other. That's right. Yeah. And imagine if you knew their opinion on your research or your their opinion mm -hmm. on your next actions or a project that you're working on and you knew that they had a nugget or had done that three years ago. So suddenly the conversation and the information exchange is deep and it's practical. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, social media is great at the relationship building and the networking, but it you can pass a gold nugget of information quicker and faster than you can at any other time. And so our platform is trying to facilitate that in a semi-closed environment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is there anything we missed about Graylit? Is there anything else you want to tell us about it, how it came to be or where it's going or so you have great stories, any other great stories you want to <laughs> share about what inspired it? <laughs> so I can tell you where it wants to go. Cause I think one of the things that, you know, as startups and founders, that we don't talk about it very often as our big, hairy, audacious goal, you know, that mm -hmm. where do you want it to go? And I, you know, for whoever's listening and I'm, and I don't know if your audience is mostly business owners or users or customers, but as a founder, 
in a completely different industry that I was trained for and that I studied in, you kind of have to hold on to this. What am I going to be when I grow up? What's the business going to be when it grows up? And so we really want to be the Netflix of publishing where we get to the point that we're generating our own content and that people are applying to us for grants to do this incredible frontline research. And in order to reach that goal, I have to talk about it. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to encourage people to, to have and articulate that goal and just hold on to it because otherwise I might still be a government employee with, you know, three weeks vacation and a salary and mileage and who needs any of that, right? I have this big, hairy, audacious goal. So every time I talk about it, it solidifies it more for me. So, well, I mean, you've got what three hours worth of vacation now and you work 80 hour weeks and yeah, Yeah. who would give up a government job for that? Right. You know, I was at a fireside chat with somebody who um, is a founder from Halifax, I think. And she now has a startup in the Valley in California. And she said she naturally started doing this biphasic sleep where she sleeps four hours at a time. Mm -hmm. And so she wakes up, she sleeps for four hours and then she does like an eight hour day or a regular day. And then she sleeps for four more hours. And I'm really kind of like, I go from like jealous to thinking she's crazy because I think, oh, if I only sleep for four hours, I could get up at 2 a.m. and do a whole bunch of other things. And then I think, no, because when I get through those four hours and the alarm clock goes off, I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm not that crazy. (laughs) But, you know, yeah. Yeah, It's it's an interesting concept. And I was thinking, oh, I kind of do that. But no, 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 no. I sleep a full eight hours and then I've been known to take a four hour nap. So (laughs) I don't think that counts. (laughs) No, no, it takes me, it takes a lot of sleep for me to be this polite. Like it really, it really does. I'm not polite at all on less hours of sleep. <laughs> well, I've never, I've never known you to be rude. I've known you to be blunt and very upfront, Yes, but what disruptor isn't? Well, you know what? I, I had, I sort of had one of those backhanded comments about the disruptor because I was in on it. I was doing a mini trade mission and our enterprise level salesperson came with us and she looked at me at the end of it and there was crazy flight changes and the hotel was evacuated. And I didn't know, that a business trip could have that many mishaps. But she looked at me and she said, you are the nicest mean person I've ever met. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I think I, thank you for that. Being the nicest mean person. So maybe with more sleep, I would just be a nice person. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you're a lovely person and I'm so glad to call you a friend. And I'm so excited for your big, hairy, audacious goal and for you to be a disruptor in this industry. So I was really happy that you were able to join me so I could help share the news because I yeah. think um, with what you're doing, I think there's, I, I think it's difficult to explain to the lay people like me what it is you're trying to do. Yeah. And um, I just think it's so amazing what it is. You're trying to be the Netflix of, of research. Of publishing, being the Netflix of publishing. Of publishing. And you yeah. know what? I think why I wanted to talk to you and why I consider, you know, our friendship was cemented so fast is because I want to do it from here. I mean, you know, hearing you at some networking events and earlier on five, six years ago now talking about twerp and how you're just going global and you're doing it from everywhere. And, you know, I want to launch Graylit from Halifax. Mm 
And I don't see why I can't, you know? And, and so surrounding myself with people like you who are doing it global from anywhere, but choosing to do it here is really inspirational. It really, it's make, it makes a difference for me knowing that you're here and a web connection away. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> for those on the podcast, we're making our heart, hands into little hearts and we're having a little love fest here. Yeah. Exactly. On that note, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go just stick around for a minute afterwards, but I just want to sure. thank everybody who uh, chimed in in the comments on Facebook. We have Linda and Mary Jane both commenting on, on Facebook here today. If you're catching the podcast, please come join us on a Friday afternoon at 1.30 for the live recording. Um, maybe we'll be able to interact with you. Maybe you'll have some questions I haven't thought of. I have one spot left for March 1st, which is just a couple of weeks away already. I can't believe how fast this uh, quarter has gone. If you know somebody that should be interviewed on HelloBlab, I would love to hear from you about them. I'm looking for interesting, really unique companies that are based in, in or near Halifax who use social media in some way. So if they're not on social media, they're probably not the right fit for this. But I want to talk to people who are doing really interesting and different and unique things. Maybe they're a disruptor in their industry. And I've got that one slot left for March 1st right now. Um, I think that's it. So Thank you, Cora, for joining me and um, telling us your story and for being heart-centered and focused on doing more good in the world. And thanks to everybody who uh, joined us live and who's catching this on the podcast. We will see, I will see you next week again on Friday. Stay social, Halifax. Thanks for listening this week. You can catch the Halablab live every Friday at 1.30 p.m. Atlantic, 12.30 p.m. Eastern on the Twerp Communications Facebook page or catch the replay on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to twerp.ca for links to everything we mentioned in this episode. And while you're there, you'll probably want to grab one of the freebies available to help small businesses manage their own social media marketing. If you run a small business in the Halifax area and you'd like to be featured on Halablab, we would love to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at twerp.ca. That's info at twirp.ca. Talk to you next week.